Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hello and welcome to the Farm Traveler Podcast. I am your host, Trevor Williams, and today on the show, we are going to learn really from the godfather of marketing and how data can help define your business and how it can find your audience. So today on the show, we are chatting with Philip Stutz, who is an absolute legend when it comes to marketing. So if you haven't heard of Philip, he has been on so many TV shows, podcasts. I think he said he's done over 300 podcast interviews, but he's been on ESPN, CBS. He's talked with people like Gary Vee, Paul Feinbaum. He's worked on countless presidential campaigns. Um, I'm looking at his fact sheet now, and he's contributed to over 1,400 elections, three presidential victories, over 350 national media appearances. He's got a book out called The Undefeated Marketing System, and he has got several companies, one of which is WinBig Media, and it helps companies use data to define their business and define their audience. So this is going to be an awesome, awesome interview for really... Anybody, farmers, ranchers, anybody that owns a business, to learn more about how you can find your audience, how you can use Philip's five easy steps to building your marketing strategy, and really how important it is to find where your audience is. He shares a really cool story about this company that was putting all of their money into like Facebook ads, for example. But then his company went in, did an audit, and found out that most of their um, audience was over at Pinterest. And so you've got to know right where your audience is. That way you can target them directly. So this is an awesome podcast. I was super excited to chat with Philip. And a um, fun little short story. So we were talking earlier, and you might, I think you might hear it in the podcast, but we are actually like 30 miles apart. He's over in Santa Rosa, and I'm here in Panama City, Florida. So it's pretty cool. But um, yeah, let's just get into it. This is an awesome interview. I hope you enjoy it. Check out Philip at the links below. Um, all of his social media handles, his website, and his book, so be sure to check out that. Anyway, thanks for listening, and enjoy this. This is episode 142 with Philip Stutz. 
All right. Well, Philip, man, welcome to the show. I'm excited yeah, to man. chat with you. I'm excited to be here. So, yeah, we were just chatting a second ago. We're like, I don't know, 30, 40 miles away from each other. I'm in well, Panama City. This is the only, I, I think I've done something like 300 podcast appearances in the last four years. Shoot. This is the closest I've ever been to a, another host. So I'm very <laughs> excited right now. Well, it is an honor. And so I don't know if you and your family go out to eat a whole lot. My wife and I, we went to Rosemary Beach to yep. a new restaurant called The Citizen. Highly recommend. It's so I, good. You got to go. I've been there about 10 times. Oh, really? And about two weeks ago. So oh. yeah, I like it a lot. Really <laughs> Heck good. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. So you are, I mean, you're kind of a marketing genius, it seems. I've been doing some research on you. You've been on, like you said, 300 podcast interviews. You've been on ESPN, CBS, Fox News, Paul Feinbaum Show, Gary Vee. Um, and you've also done like a lot of political um, campaigns and stuff like that. So give us a little bit kind of about your background and how you discovered this um, marketing system that you use? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm, I'm one of the first uh, ADD kit generation of kids. So we didn't even have ADHD, Trev. So, you know, like uh, there was no age, there was no hyperactivity. It was just ADD. And I, I was mm -hmm. diagnosed in the 80s. I'm 47 now. And they threw me on Redlin and they told me I was dumb and they put me in below basic classes, like slightly mm -hmm. above special ed. This is an absolutely true story. No exaggeration. And ultimately, you know, right now, I think the world looks at, you know, ADHD or whatever it is, and they look at it slightly differently. But back then you were pretty much called a dummy for everything. And ultimately, my brain really can only focus on the things I'm super passionate about. If, if, I, if I'm not interested, then I'm not interested. So, you know, I, there were only two things I was really passionate about uh, when I was in high school and college, and that was college football and uh politics and it wasn't like i want i like politics like um what's the ag policy going to be or what's the yeah. tax policy going to be i didn't care about any of that i wanted to know how to get people elected i was sort of fascinated by that process and so that's kind of what led me it's a long winding road but it's kind of what led me to work on three winning presidential campaigns um 1433 election wins and then translate that over to helping businesses use the model that we use in politics to help market and grow their business. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, when it comes to politics, I like my dad is a history teacher. He's always follow politics and stuff. And so it's always interesting, like around election season, you just kind of see how, I mean, it's really marketing 101, like you're marketing that candidate, all they stand for and stuff like that. So, I mean, what have you brought from the political world to the marketing world, or I guess kind of vice versa? Like how can they both, how can you use strategies for both? <clears throat> Yeah, the, the principles are the same. The execution is totally different. And I, mm. I learned that the hard way. Uh, <laughs> I thought it would just be easy <laughs> just to translate it over, but it wasn't. And <clears throat> I learned a lot of lessons along the way. But ultimately, uh, business owners right now are lost when it comes to marketing. The world has completely upended how they market their business. They see hot trends. They see hot mm. tactics. And they think they need to jump in. They spend a lot of money. They don't make anything. And then they go, crud, I got to try something else. And then they try something else and it doesn't work. And then they go, crud. And they try something else. Something else may work for like a hot minute. And then it stops working. They can't figure out why. And so I just said, you know, businesses should be running their, their marketing like a, like a political campaign. Not in the, the negative sense, but in the way that we look at data, the way that we're obsessed with how voters feel, what they mm. want 
and translate that over into how the customers or clients feel and what they want. And then delivering on those um, in, in, a, in a unique and different way that your competition is not. And so, yeah, that's why I wrote the book, The Undefeated Marketing System, was to sort of lay out how that works and how businesses can learn from it. Yeah, you said something in one of your interviews. It was something like um, out of like 25 issues or something, um, voters will, will, they have like two issues that they're super passionate about. And then they'll vote for candidate to support those two out of 25, which is wild. But I mean, that makes sense. Well, we just don't have the, the brain bandwidth to like go, hey, that guy's running for state rep. I want to know the 25 things that he or she cares about. Mm. Like, no, doesn't work that way. If you even, you know, like you may know your local or county officials or your state officials or whatever, but ultimately you're probably a one or two issue person. I would imagine everybody on this podcast that listens to this podcast is like, yeah, I want to know their ag policy. I want to know what restrictions they're going to put on me trying mm-hmm. to grow crops or be a better farmer or do whatever it is that it's a real super important to you, right? That's probably not going to be on, hey, what's the manufacturing uh, issues going up in Washington right now? Or, you know, um, yeah, it could be social issues. It could be policy issues. But really, your brain, look, people, voters, consumers, they they have families, they have soccer practices, they have tutors, they got to, sh- I mean, I you know, like as soon as I'm off on this podcast, I got to drive 20 minutes to pick my daughter up and then another 45 minutes to drive her back home. And it's like, <laughs> it's an hour to 10 minutes, but I don't care what this stupid state rep thinks other than is it going to, uh, you know, improve my livelihood or are they going to try to take away my livelihood? Yeah, that's interesting. So, I mean, what are some example, I, I know you've worked on some presidential campaigns and local campaigns, like is there anything, I mean, I imagine a lot of the um, same strategies work for local and um, presidential campaigns, or is there anything that, I mean, is there something that you can't adapt for a local that you can't adapt for um, like a presidential campaign? I don't know if it's can't, it's what you can. Uh, mm. I, I would tell you that if you're running for local office, I have a very easy formula to win. And that is go knock on every single door of the of every voter in your district and knock on it, not once, not twice, not three times, but four times. And if you do that, you'll probably win every single time. I, I really? just, the candidates we worked with have done it when 99% of the time, unless they, you know, get caught in some scandal, which actually happened. Once. <laughs> My candidate was knocking on every door. He was crushing, he was winning the election. And uh, he, he got caught in about 10 scandals right back to back oh, to gosh. back. And it just sunk the campaign. I'm like, God dang it. That <laughs> such an idiot. So yeah, I mean, that happens, but um, yeah, but it's pretty interesting. And listen, you know, just in the way it works for your audience. I mean, what I was super excited to come on this podcast about was we're in a, we're in the most disruptive moment in human history. There's just no doubt about it. When I'm on stage, I get, I, I go on stage and, Uh, all over the country and speak to business owners. And one of the slides that I have, Trev, is I have um, a slide that shows a New York City street in 1900, Mm -hmm. and it's all horse and buggy. And then I show the same city street in New York in 1913, and it's all cars. And at that moment in time, it was the most disruptive moment in human history. And we were already in the second wave of that disruption, right? We haven't had a disruption since the turn of the night, you know, of the eight, uh, sorry, the 20th century, but that disruption with the internet and where the world's going and then COVID hit and accelerate everything. And one of the silver linings is that the agriculture community is being rebuilt in this country. You've got people that 
maybe they lived in uh, cities or maybe they lived in suburbs of cities. And then they went, I don't want this kind of life anymore. Right. Um, it, just as an example for me, I, I hunted when I was 19 years old, never did it again, never owned a gun. And through COVID, you know, I'm, I went out last year to Colorado and hunted elk. And, you know, now I own about 10 guns (laughs) (laughs) and I'm taking a lot of gun classes and I'm getting more acclimated to being um, in nature and hunting and provided food, organic, uh, grass fed, you know, uh, uh, meat for my, my family. Like for me, it's all about knowing where your food comes from. But I learned that from the pandemic, like crap. Like the world can be taken away from us in a moment's notice. We need to know where our food comes from. We need to know how, you know, where, where our farms work. We need, you know, we, there's, there was this huge movement in the eighties to sort of the big box farm. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think what you've seen really over the last 20 years is this move back towards small organic, um, and, and rebuilding the farm system in America. And so it's super interesting. That's what the consumer wants. Yes. I understand people have made that decision with their own careers, but it's actually what the consumers want. Now they don't want mass produced food, mass produced, um, animals, you know, where, where they don't know where that food comes from. And, and I, I think what excites me about what you're doing is that that speaks to me. It really does. And um, so, yeah, if I can help your community in any way and how they market their businesses, that's, that's super cool too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's a good point you brought up. I mean, the consumer, usually they don't understand this. They're like the most powerful entity on the food supply chain. Like whatever they want, farmers, ranchers, um, the whole food supply chain is going to make that. Like five, 10 years ago, people wanted more organic produce. So you saw mm-hmm. that. And now there's like this huge shift to like grass fed beef, grass finished beef, more sustainable crops, stuff like that. And so it's literally what they want. And then you brought up a point earlier, like people wanted to see where their food comes from. One of my favorite things about farms is that you can have multiple kind of um, like multiple business models in it, like agritourism. And like when COVID kind of lifted last year a little bit, I mean, you know, a little bit lifted. Yeah. There were so many people that were going to farms that wanted to tour, see what was going on. Yeah. And so you could see people wanted to get out. They wanted to learn. And so, I mean, farmers have been trying to figure out how to market themselves, how to market their products. And really, I would say kind of how to market their story. So do you have any advice there on like how they can effectively market their story that makes them unique and kind of how consumers can kind of connect with that? Yeah, I can. Uh, but I'd also tell you this, like, you know, we're in, um, we're in Northern Florida, but even more North Florida, right on the Alabama, Georgia line. There's a lot of ag. Oh yeah. And I had one of my best friends literally like two weeks ago, bought a farm. Oh, no way. Um, about an hour North of Panama city. <clears throat> and you know, he bought about 50 acres, nothing crazy, but he wants to plant. He wants to have animals. He wants mm-hmm. to raise animals and plant his own food and all that stuff. And I asked him like, how, how expensive was it? He's like, it's like, well, it's doubled in the last two years. So <laughs> this is farmland in rural areas, like where there's no commerce mm. and it's doubling. And you know, if you own a farm out there, you're probably like, yeah, I've seen that too. But that's, what's so interesting to me. Like there is this move, like you can either sell and make a lot of money right now, or you can build a business and Mm -hmm. make a lot of money right now. I don't think there's ever been a better opportunity 
in the agriculture market as there is right now. Like it is one of the best opportunities we've had in probably like 30, 40 years. Yeah. So to go to your question on how I'd look at it to market the business, um, I, I don't do anything unless I understand exactly what you talked about. What does the consumer want? Mm-hmm. They are the most powerful force. Uh, I have um, a data. Uh, so I have a, I kind of um, based my company on making sure that we were a data and analytics marketing agency. So we don't have a marketing, you know, I, I saw a lot of marketing agencies out there that sit around and they get a client and then they go, well, let's talk about your business. And they get their business and they go, okay, well, we just had a brainstorming session and we think uh, we know how to, we have some great ideas we run by you. And it's based on nothing, mm. right? It doesn't, has nothing to do with the consumer. It's just what a bunch of creative marketers want to do. Like that, that doesn't work in this world right now. And I tell people all the time, if you don't get into the game of data analytics and especially in the way in the marketing world, you're going to be lost. You're going to be behind everybody in the world very soon. So there's a moment right now where if you're in this economy, farm economy, you have an advantage to be an exponential business by just going with that kind of use. Look, farming right now, tell me if I'm wrong, is based on a lot of data and analytics. It's almost mm-hmm. turned into a money ball approach. People oh, don't yeah, just 100%. go plant some stuff and say, well, harvest is it the, you know, the, the you know, the, <laughs> the right moon or whatever the farmer's own access or whatever it is. Right. No, like uh, it, it is a billion dollar business for a reason because it's being run scientifically and it's being run. I always call us a, a money ball marketing agency, but that's how the farm farm industry is as well. It's a money ball issue. Like they are looking and, and, they don't take risk because risk means they lose everything. Mm-hmm. That, that doesn't mean there isn't risk. They just eliminate as much risk as possible. So the parallels between how I look at marketing and how people, farmers run their business right now, probably pretty similar. So I'm sort of obsessed with the consumer. And if I'm, you know, again, if I'm someone out there trying to build a, a business in this, like you asked, well, I, in my database, I have 240 million Americans 550 million connected devices. I'm tracking 10 billion uh, purchasing decisions daily in a trillion searches. Mm-hmm. I have a partnership with the largest data collection, analytics, and AI uh, company in America. And so what I can do is build out your ideal audience that you say, hey, here is the people we want to serve. I can tell you everything you've ever wanted to know about them from their top three values in life to the social media platforms they're in in a chronological order to the specific TV shows and the specific publications they read. I can tell you everything you've ever wanted to know. I can tell you if they're buying on a price, quality, or convenience. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that be interesting to know? That would and be. And so before, yeah. before you go out and spend a bunch of money on how to market your business, you have to know who the customer is and what they want mm-hmm. because you have to deliver to them. So why would you spend money on a guess of what you think is right when it could be totally wrong? So what we do is we eliminate as much risk as possible in our marketing for the, for our clients by looking and analyzing the consumer market first, delivering on what they want, and then starting to build the brand and the camp in the marketing campaigns based on that. And that's sort of how we get into our five-step system, but that's how I do it first and foremost. Because if you, you know, I always tell people this, maybe, maybe this makes sense to you, Trevor, or not, but if 
we love to tell our founder's story. We love to tell the story mm. about how we started something, right? Because we had frustrations, we overcame something, boom, 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 all this kind of stuff, right? But what if you found out that your consumers really only cared about 25% of your story? And they cared about, would you continue to talk about the 75% of your story that they don't care about? Or would you take that 25% and optimize it to perform that, that message to perform in a way that resonates with that customer or that consumer? And what are your results going to be in sales if you do that? Mm -hmm. And so that's what we're trying to figure out. And that's what we're trying to optimize. And then that's what we're trying to build marketing campaigns off of. That's the foundation. It's, I, I believe in it so much that I will not work for a company that does not undergo a deep a data and analysis of their customer or client or whatever it is uh, before they go out and market their business. I won't do it because they want, I want to be more successful than they do in their own business. And that's not a good fit for me. So that's how married I am to that. Because here's the deal. Uh, we work for Fortune 200 companies. We work for startups and small businesses, but we've found that every single company that has followed this approach and been committed to it has grown their bottom line. Every single one. And, you know, this world of, hey, I went out and marketed a bunch of things and nothing worked, that, that doesn't work for us. It shouldn't work for you as a business owner. And that's really our, our approach. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, I've even experienced that just by building this podcast because, I mean, if you don't know the like the ideal listener, for example, in my case, like if you don't know what they want, it's not going to work. Like you've got to know um, you've got like, you know, you hear the term the riches are in the niches and like the more focused you have your show, the more focused that, you know, the consumer wants to hear this instead of this, which I might think is interesting, but it's really about serving the consumer. Um, and so, yeah, like I mean, like you said, you've got to focus on that 25 percent that they like and they mm -hmm. kind of go after that. Yeah, totally. That's awesome. So and. Now, I'm no, clearly, I'm no marketing guru, and I know, especially like a lot of farmers, ranchers, small-time business owners, when they think marketing, they think social media. So how much of your marketing strategy is dictated by social media? And then how much should you not rely on social media to help market your business? Yeah, I'm, I, don't, I don't even think about that. I, I'm what we would call screen agnostic. I don't mm. give a damn. I don't make money from the social media platform. So I only know what the data tells me. There are businesses that we help that when we looked in the data, we found out that direct mail and billboard advertising were their top two platforms they should be spending money, mm. not social media. There are other platforms we did, you know, that we've worked with that social media is popping off the pages where they should spend money. So I don't care, don't know until I look at the data and people go, what do you think I should do? Like when they give me a specific company and I go, I have to look at your customers first, man. Like, I don't know. Like I don't, I'm anybody that tells you they know is a liar. Like <laughs> I'm just going to be speak truthfully and ethically. And for me, it's your customers could be anywhere and everywhere, but you've got to figure that out. I'll give you an example of what I mean. So I'm sitting in an office chair while we're talking. They are a short tank company. And they came to us and they said, hey, we, we need to double our company in the next two years. I said, cool. And they said, yeah, uh, we are spending 85% of our ad dollars on Facebook. And I said, why? And they said, because we hired a Facebook marketing agency and they told us to spend money on Facebook. <laughs> and I said, well, that's great. But where is your customer? And they go, I guess they're on Facebook. And I go, how do you know? And they go, we don't. And I go, okay, let's 
figure that out. So we ran our data report for them on their customers, right? We, what we do is we overlay their customer list online. We track, grab their IP address and track them online. It's kind of scary, of course, but it's also kind of cool for me because I'm not trying to do it to, to steal anything. I'm trying to do it to make better connections and, and serve the consumer base. But anyway, so we tracked them online and we found out that Facebook was the fourth best performing social media platform that their own customers were going to. Mm. <clears throat> so they're spending 85% of their dollars on Facebook and it's the fourth best performing platform. Do you know what number one was? YouTube? No. Market or um, billboards? No. What was it? Pinterest. Really? Because women had gone back into the workforce over COVID, except they were working from home and they wanted a cool and nice and comfortable office chair. And so this company, which was a eight-figure company, did not know that, had never spent money there. <laughs> And it targets mostly women, but here is a market that they'd never tapped into. Mm -hmm. And we were able to help them reverse that whole trend. Now, listen, their budget does, does spend money on Facebook, but does it spend 85% on Facebook? No, it spends 13% now on Facebook because it's the fourth best performing platform. And so this is what I'm trying to get across to business owners more than anything else. Stop wasting your money. Stop playing whack-a-mole and guessing on everything. And turn your, your customer, turn, turn your focus over to what the customers want. Like you said earlier, Trev, and deliver to them and what they want and find where there's an alignment between your vision and the customer and then mm -hmm. deliver on that too. And do you think it's going to be obviously a lot better to do this early on in your business instead of just like guessing and then eventually coming back to it? Well, that's where most people do make the mistake. They spend mm -hmm. a bunch of money guessing and then they end up coming and going, yeah, yeah, yeah. We kind of need to take that data analytics approach to our marketing. Mm, gotcha. Like my question is this, like, you know, we, I'm kind of curious on your end, like, tell me how data and analytics is used in farming right now. Yeah. I mean, really when it comes to people are just kind of looking about what, the, what kind of diets people are eating, are eating kind of the, like, for example, grass fed versus grain fed. Mm -hmm. Um, people are really trying to figure out what they're going to buy, what they know, like people, there's a huge thing that grass fed tastes better and that it's healthier for you, but it's just as healthy as grain fed, but it does taste a little bit different. I've heard that grain fed or grain finished as has a little bit butterier of a texture and grain or um, grass fed tastes a little bit better. And so I'd say it's that I'd say a lot of people are using social media like Facebook, YouTube, Instagram to kind of build their following, get metrics that way. Um, but I would say a lot more farms now, especially during COVID, as they've started these direct um, to consumer business models, they don't really know. They're just kind of asking around. They're hiring people that they know, like off of but Facebook, to run those campaigns. I, I get that. I'm asking about people that are actually farming. Mm -hmm. How are they using, how are they looking at data and analytics to figure out when, uh, when to plant, when oh, to... I gotcha you know, when, when to harvest, um, all of these things, when, you know, when, like, I'm sure there are so many different applications and technologies for farmers to use to create an abundance of a crop, correct? Oh yeah. Yeah. There's, it's been this cool thing where it's like software as a service to where people can buy data for satellites, weather satellites, Imaging where you can literally see how the crops are growing if they slow down and then you can um, harvest them. So, yeah, I mean, it's this whole AI thing. And right. So 
if you're not using that and you're just out there on, let's say, you know, a thousand acres or 50,000 acres and you're just guessing, I don't know, let's plant now. It, that's kind of like the marketing world right now. Mm -hmm. Like that's what a lot of marketers do. I don't know. Let's just try this. Right. And what we're doing is exactly that. The AI, the data, the analytics, constantly looking at the data, reevaluating, optimizing for, for, for performance. There's really a lot of parallels between how people are farming right now, the, especially the ones that are, that are successful making money and delivering to their customers in the way that the marketing world works right now. Hmm. And so kind of like with that Pinterest story, do you kind of need to strike a good balance about going where most of your audience is and also trying to bring in new audiences from different tools? Yeah, absolutely. But you need to know what those tools are before yeah. you go spend money on them instead of guessing around and spending a lot of money and not getting any results. That makes sense. So you've also got a book. You have one or two books out. I know you've got The Undefeated Marketing System. Yeah, I have two. I've written two. I wrote one in 2018 and then one that came out uh, uh, in 2021. Okay, yeah, I thought it came out recently. So, I mean, w the response has been huge. I think it was like number 63 out of 6 million books on Amazon. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Self-published too. Oh, so. hey, that's hard to do from what I've heard. <laughs> I'm aware. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, what was the whole experience about like writing that book, getting yeah. all that information out there? What was that whole thing like? Um, well, I'm going to say something that's going to be counterintuitive to anything you believe. <laughs> I had, I much prefer writing the book than marketing my mm. book and I'm a marketer. So, uh, I, I'm an analytical guy. I'm, I, you know, so for me being creative and writing and putting all that together was a lot of fun for me. I mean, it was just a lot of fun. Um, and it, telling the stories, the undefeated, so the, the subtitle of the undefeated marketing system is how to grow your business and build your audience using the secret formula that elects presidents. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of walk through um, a lot of different examples of how we worked with presidents to win. And the whole book is based in stories because I'm a storyteller too. I'm a more of a storyteller than I am sort of a, a nerdy academic. <laughs> and so if you want to know what, what it, how the sausage is made in marketing politicians and then how businesses have utilized that system and that, that politicians use and presidents use to win and how they've used it to, to have exponential results. This is, you know, the kind of book that would be probably for you. And I mean, here's the thing, every fortune 200 company is some is utilizing some part of the system we, we put in place. That's the reason they're fortune 200 companies. The people that are not utilizing it, are the people that are not making as much money. Mm -hmm. So what I try to get across to a lot of people is, you know, the most successful people in the world are modelers. They model things. And we, you know, go model what the Fortune 200 companies are doing. Like, that's why they're billion-dollar companies. And I tell those stories in the book of how small businesses can do that, that in the way that doesn't cost them the same amount, they can do it in an affordable way. And really puts together an opportunity for them to, because here's the thing, I guarantee anybody in this, this listening to this podcast right now, I doubt their competition is marketing in a, in a, in a money ball sort of AI marketing in analytical way at all. So if you're the one that's doing it and you follow these five steps in your way, whatever it is, you're going to, you're going to have nobody competing against you and you're going to dominate the market. Because mm -hmm. you're the only one utilizing this sort of data-backed formula in the way that you market your business. 
And I just think that's an edge that every business owner, no matter what market needs to employ. Yeah. And you brought up a good point. I mean, I think when a lot of people think about getting um, data for their business and using AI, it, I'm sure the costs scare them away. But I mean, if you don't make that initial investment, you're not going to profit and you're not going to know where most of your audience is. Yeah. Well, the most successful people in the world invest in their business 24 seven. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I've invested over a million dollars into my businesses in the last seven years. And that's a reason why we're about to hit hundred million in revenue, all my businesses. And the reason is not because I've done anything special. It's because I reinvest in my money. I, I reinvest in my money. I, I invest on the front end to make sure we get things right and serve our clients and customers and whatever, whoever else we're serving. That is the key to success. This is what the most successful businesses in the world do. They don't sit back and go, I shouldn't spend money to to invest in getting this right. I should just guess because I don't want to spend that money. I get it. It's My wife says it'd be really nice to have that money back in her, in her, <laughs> her bank account. Trust me. But what she doesn't know and what she doesn't realize is that that is what put us in a position that where we are now. Right. That by the time I'm 50, you know, we're going to have a nine figure company that is annual, annual nine figures. And that, you know, if I don't ever want to work again, I don't have to. And that's why I like to work because I don't want to have to work. Right. So that's what we're trying. Obviously, like I've taken this approach. And for business owners out there, whether they're starting, whether they're small, doesn't mean you need to spend a million dollars to invest in your business. That's stupid. I'm just saying you've got to have some kind of investor mentality. I, I my One of the things I tell people all the time that whine, bitch, and moan about, oh, my God, I don't want to put $1,000 into my, you know, on the front end to something that I don't know it's going to produce a result. And I go, well, what I always ask this question, like, and I'll ask this to you. Sorry, you're going to make you a guinea pig. That's Trey. fine with me. <laughs> What's the most successful stock in your portfolio? I would say Grow. It's a hydroponic company. And they've mm. been, we bought them, I think when they were at $7 and they shot up to 60. And nice. I mean, they've kind of crashed back down, but I'd say that's our most successful. What are they now? They're, I think, 15 right now. Okay. So, so we double. Yeah. Right. See, the best stock in my portfolio is me. Hey, there you go. Okay. Yeah. It's more important than any stock I've ever invested in. And if I'm not willing to invest in, in, in me and making my, you know, my business is better, then that tells me a lot about whether you need to invest in my services. Mm-hmm. So that was a trick question. Sorry to throw you on the bus. <laughs> no, uh, it's all good. But, I get but the that's point. the whole point, right? I'm not saying I'm great. I'm just saying I, I realize at a certain point, why am I not investing in the one stock that pays off every single time? Mm-hmm. Like there's no guess. I'm not relying on grow to, to meet their numbers. I'm relying on me to meet my numbers. And that's what I what I employ business owners to try to think and figure out from a mindset standpoint. Yeah, you know, I've always heard that, especially when you're starting out a business, like you're not going to take a profit or you shouldn't take a paycheck until you're like five years in because you need to, especially in those first few years, like keep investing, keep reinvesting. Mm-hmm. And I mean, especially if you're doing long term, like don't think about it as a paycheck. You're building a business. So you've got to just kind of help that grow. Yeah, I think if you're if you're building things for the short run and you think you're going to get a get rich, there's no get rich quick pill in the world. Everybody yeah. thinks they're going to be the next Facebook. It's just not it's so stupid. So, yeah, I'm seven years into this journey, and I can honestly say that I've reinvested almost 90 percent of my dollars back into my business. Mm-hmm. Seven years in, not five, seven. And my partner and I, we've come to the conclusion that we got to go 10 before we feel like 
we're, we have an option to take money out of the business, but you know, we have, I don't know, 50 plus employees. We have six different companies now. Um, and you know, we're, we're approaching nine figures in revenue. So that's, that's why. I mean, that's impressive. I mean, it's been so cool just to kind of, while I was doing research for you, just like all the shows you've been on, just kind of talking to the marketing. And I mean, it seems like all these businesses you've, you've, you've helped out all the campaigns, really it's gaining them a lot of traction. It's really giving them some great tools that they can use. I mean, even for farmers and ranchers and really anybody listening to this show, there's like some tactile things that they can do. Yeah, absolutely. These are principles that work across the board, whether you're a small business, whether you're an ag, whether you're in technology, whatever it is, the principles don't change, right? Um, and that's what we're trying to get across. That's what I was trying to get across in the book. Yeah. One of your quotes, I guess, kind of marketing the book was talking about, um, it was like, you know, you hate politicians, but um, we've got more in common th- with politicians than we know. And here's how to use some of their strategies for you. So I, this is kind of an odd question, but how can this apply for like our personal brands? Can we apply this really to how we market ourselves out in public, I guess, for, for jobs or around people of influence and stuff like that? Yeah. I mean, there's a million ways you can skin the cat. Yes. I always say that this system is sort of ubiquitous. I even thought about it in prepping for this, like, oh, farmers utilize the system in the way they grow their crops. And, you know, that it's ubiquitous. It really is. Sports teams use this, this uh, formula to win championships. Lawyers use it to win court cases. Startup uh, companies use it to, to become exponential. Uh, I, in the book, I talk about how uh, it even works in dating. <laughs> there um, you go. Okay. Yeah. I, I lay it all out how the formula works for dating. So yes, it works for brands. It works for businesses. It works for your dating life. It works for everything. And, and it's all a little tweaked, a little different, but the five steps work in a sequential order that if you do them correctly, you have success. So, so what are those five steps real quick? Yeah. So the first one we've talked about, this is the understanding the data of your customer and Mm -hmm. understanding how to approach them, what to talk about. And the second step is now that you know what your customers want and you know the vision of what you're trying to build for your company, um, you, you have to build a strategic plan around it. You have to marry your vision with what the customer wants and you have to build a budget and a timeline and your budget should be an analytical budget based on what the data tells you you should be spending money on and you know all those types of things, right? The third step is you build the brand, right? So we always tell people, why would you ever create a website for your company if you don't know what is going to, when customers come to your website, if it doesn't speak to them, then why would you build your brand that way? Mm. Know what the customer wants and build your brand around what the customer wants. Like that's it. And that's why it's third, not first. I hate, it drives me nuts when marketing agencies tell business owners, let's go build your brand. Here's some great logos. I'm like, what does that even mean? Like that doesn't, (laughs) that is serving the ego of the business owner not helping the business owner. Mm. The fourth step is you test, test, test all the ideas and messages in the data, what the customers want to figure out which one rises to the top and which one, uh, you know, and when I say test, you do uh, ad testing, to figure out what messages are the most effective of what's in the data, not the guessing, right? We already know all the messages in the data are going to work. What we're trying to figure out is what works the best. And then the fifth step is now you go launch out into the world and, and launch your marketing campaign. Now that you've reduced your risk, find out, know exactly what the customer wants, and you start building upon that. So I'll tell you how it works for sports teams. 
Uh, do you have a favorite football team? Florida State, man. Okay. All right. <laughs> so the Knolls are going to, let's just say they're going to play, uh, let's see, another ACC team. They're going to play Clemson. Okay. Right? And they're going to play Clemson on Saturday. Well, they, they, and they just got through playing NC State, right, on the previous Saturday. The first thing they do when they come back to the practice facility on Sunday or Monday, right, is they're going to look at game tape from the game. And they're going to look at Clemson's game tape. So what are they doing? They're looking at data. They're understanding what they did right, what they did wrong, what Clemson's tendencies are for the next game, mm-hmm. what what where their weaknesses are, what their strengths are. They're all assessing data, step one. Step two, now that they've looked at all that game tape, the coaches put in what? A game plan, a strategy, right? Mm-hmm. Step three, uh, what's it? Uh, is it Doak? Doak. What is yeah, it? Doak Campbell Stadium. Doak Campbell Stadium. So... The, uh, the university spends a whole week cleaning the jerseys, cleaning the stadium, getting the vendors ready. Step three, they're getting the brand on point for the game. Step four, what does the players do all week long? Practice. <laughs> they test. They test. There the you go. Plays okay, yeah. from their strategy plan by practicing. You're right. So they practice the plays and they figure out which plays from their game plan are going to work and they pitch ones won't work as well. And ultimately, by the time they get to Friday, they have a solid game plan in place of exactly what they know that's going to work and what's not going to work. And then Saturday, they go launch the fifth step. They go play the game. The only difference between this and the marketing world is that the opponent, Clemson, is actually following this exact same formula. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Same thing for trial attorneys. They're following the exact same formula. The only people in the world not utilizing this formula at all, except a few of us are marketers. Mm. So when I talk to businesses and I say, you utilize this formula, you have no competition that's utilizing this formula. You will get exponential results out of it. I like it. That, that's a great example. I mean, that really kind of gives you a, great, a better idea of what to do and how important those five steps are. I like that. That's not bad. I hope I hope FSU does that this year. We had a bad couple of years. Not nearly as good as Bama, unfortunately. Well, look, we went we went through hell and back for about seventeen years. So it's <laughs> uh, we all go through these cycles. Yeah, I, I guess our three to four year horrible streak isn't that bad. So yeah, I mean it is right. what it is. Well, Philip, this has been awesome, man. Um, if people want to get your book, if people want to learn more about your companies, where can they go to kind of see you and see what you're doing and learn more? Yeah, you can go to uh, philipstutz.com. Uh, I'm sure you'll have it spelled perfectly in the show notes. Absolutely. And um, the other thing is if you are a business owner and you're interested in how the data works, I mean, it's expensive. Our data is 7,500 to 10 grand to do. But if you're interested in how that works and you want to eliminate your risk, we do have a free uh, assessment call. My team will talk to you about what uh, you're looking for, what we have in our database, how it would look. And that doesn't cost you anything. It's a free call. And that's uh, philipstutz.com backslash insights, or maybe it's just slash insights. <laughs> and um, and that's a free assessment call that my team will do with you. Sweet. Well, we'll link all that below, man. Um, I appreciate it. Um, can't believe we're only 30 minutes away. Have fun in 30A. Yeah, man. Look me up. Deal. Will do. Thanks again. All right. All right. See you, brother. Again, thank you for listening to this interview with Philip. I hope you learned a thing or two about how to market your business, how to find your audience, and you know how we can even use this marketing strategy for our own um, our own brands, I guess you could say. Um, so thank you so much for listening. I really, really appreciate it. If you are new here, you know the deal, or I guess rather you don't. Um, <laughs> 
consider leaving a review, consider subscribing, that helps us out a ton. And if you are, you know, um, if you do leave a review, Apple has written reviews you can do on there, and Spotify is slowly doing it, which I think is very interesting. But um, if you leave a written review over on iTunes, I would be more than happy to read it out, which I think is gonna be really cool. So the more people will leave a review, the more I will actually, you know, um, read it. So one is from last year. It's actually almost a year old. This is from, I think, Susan. I can't really pronounce her last name, but anyway, it's five stars. It's the second one on Apple Podcasts. And it says, I came across this podcast and I'm totally hooked. It's great for people who are curious about agriculture and our food system in America. It highlights so many different perspectives on food from farmers to legislatures. So well done. Can't wait for more episodes. So thank you very much. I really appreciate that. If you want me to read your review or anything like that, consider, you know, leaving a review on Apple or on Spotify. And thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Adios.